The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, over the weekend, I watched in fascination as our next guest and some of his co-workers ran a couple days of testings on the new Drager Drug Test 5000 roadside testing device, and it turned up some false positives. The Drager is that saliva screening device approved by the federal government ahead of cannabis legislation or legalization uh, last year to be used by police to check drivers for THC. Now, Paul Dorshenko is a criminal lawyer at Acumen Law in Vancouver. He live tweeted the results of the testing that included false positives after eating get this poppy seed cake and having a cup of tea hi paul how are you doing i am good um at first when i was scrolling through twitter i'm like oh gosh paul's having one hell of a weekend <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we didn't set out to deal with poppy seed cake or uh, a tea we actually were just totally focused on cannabis but it was kind of we got to the end of the day Wow! And, uh, some other things popped up that were uh, strange anomalies in the testing. There's lots of strange anomalies. I mean, you know, the researchers are going to have to go yeah. through, the, through the material and figure out what it all means. But so, those were some strange ones. So let's let's start. Maybe you you've had concerns about uh, the Drager for a long time now. I mean, this is not the first conversation we've had about this machine. Yeah, I mean, my issue isn't really with the machine itself. It's that it's not really set for or designed for or useful for in the Canadian political realm or the Canadian criminal realm rather to uh, investigate people for criminal offenses uh, and you know lead to punishment or arrest and detention uh, for criminal offenses and you know this sort of just reinforces my view of that uh, but the machine itself is a fantastic thing I mean it's well designed it's a it does some really neat things uh, it just you know I, I wouldn't want to be have it used against me in an investigation. Hmm. Um, I was reading a couple of the articles that came out out of uh, the weekend testing, and one of the things uh, that was said in there and that people maybe should know is that it detects the presence of drugs rather than impairment. And if and if it's being used to f- figure out how impaired, like how how is this work? How would this work? Roadside testing to decide whether or not you're impaired or not. Well, it it detects the presence of drugs. Okay, so it's not telling you a concentration of drugs. Okay. It's telling you a you know a, uh, the presence of a certain amount, and there's cutoffs for it, right? Like if you've got a very extremely low level of THC, it's not supposed to uh, supposed to indicate the presence of THC. So you're assuming that it gets to a certain level before it does. Um, but um, yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't tell you whether or not the person's impaired. But the way that the law is written now, the police officer can come to the opinion that you're committing an offense at that point and then make a demand that you go back to a detachment hmm. uh, and undergo a drug recognition evaluation and then potentially provide blood or urine um, to determine whether or not you you are have a prohibited substance in your body or you have a you know you're impaired as a result of a, of a substance that's impairing Let's let's break down uh, some of the things that you tested on the weekend, and uh, you had mentioned like low THC levels, and I think someone had taken uh, some CBD oil with a very low um, THC amount in it, and it showed up, and you were surprised at that. Yeah, we did not expect that at all, and uh, you know, the, I guess the experts are going to have to figure out whether or not, like, this is one of the things that that is a concern is retention period in the mouth. Um, you know, for alcohol, most of the time the alcohol is going to have dissipated most of the time, 20 minutes after the last 
consume drink. It's going to have dissipated enough that it's probably not going to contaminate the sample. The the police use a 15-minute uh, waiting period. It's you know, probably should be longer in my view, but, you know, it's a reasonable period of time to use. Uh, with this, we have no idea how long after consumption of any of these substances that it can trigger it. And we, you know, don't know if it was triggered as a result of, of uh, mouth contamination <laughs> or if it was triggered as a result of it being in the blood. But we had a, yeah. a novice user using something that, you know, reading the manual for the device shouldn't have triggered a a, uh, a THC positive, uh, and yet did trigger a THC positive. And under those circumstances, you know, you're arrested, you're taken back to the, to the, uh, you know, South Edmonton detachment, and then you're there for four hours where they, while well, they run you through a drug recognition evaluation. Well, and, and the interesting thing is, I, I was reading an article on the weekend, um, you know, in Alberta, I think it's right across the country, like CBD oil has become very popular to the point where they can't keep things on in, in, in uh, on the shelves. It's just not there. There's a lot of people using CBD oil. And what could this mean for all of those folks who are, who are taking a very low THC, high CBD oil, maybe for aches, pains, whatever it is, maybe to help to get to sleep, um, what that could mean for a lot of folks out there. Well, I would tell you what you just said encourages me to invest in it because I know more and more people are going to be using it. The risk is driving, right? <laughs> uh, and if you're driving and, you know, the police decide that they want to test you and they test you with this device or maybe any other device, I don't know. I mean, there's another one that's coming online. Uh, but in either circumstance, you may, you know, find yourself under arrest. You may find yourself detained, taken back to a police detachment and going through all of this. And if you're mm. on your way to the airport mm. because you've decided to fly to Disneyland, uh, with your family, and you're a little bit weird because you've been up late, you know, packing, and you're you're speaking very quickly with the officer, and he decides to demand that you provide one of these samples. I mean, that can be the end of the trip to Disneyland. Yeah, um, and that's the concern that I've got. And I, I, you know, the the government delayed, delayed, delayed um, legalizing cannabis on the basis of saying that they were going to come up with a, some fantastic legal scheme and get testers and all of these things. But they also said, you know, if they didn't have those things, that there would be carnage on the roads. So far, we've seen no carnage on the roads. Mm. Uh, cannabis has been, you know, like de facto legal in B.C. for the longest time because it's been <laughs> just used and um, people have been, you know, are, are, have been fairly careful. But they continue to be careful. Like, for the most part, the one thing that you see with cannabis users uh, and that, you know, we found in our study, but this was not something we focused on and we, we probably will at some point later on, but that is that, that most of the people who are using cannabis and, you know, had, were tested on the device, uh, were just thinking to myself, there's no way I'd drive. I'd, driving is too mm. laborious. I'm not interested in driving. It's not, you know, I, I, most people think that they're more high than they are. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, some of the fascinating results. But all of this is going to be researched. That you know, the data is going to be published, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll let the public look at it, and, and the government can look at it, and everybody can look at it to try and figure out what it means. Paul Doroshenko um, is a criminal lawyer with Acumen Law in Vancouver, and um, again, as I mentioned off the top of of this segment, was um, doing some testing with the Drager Drug Test Five Thousand Roadside Testing Device. I want to get into a couple of these things with you, Paul. I want you to tell me what was going through 
your mind. Um, you had a piece of poppy seed bread or a, a muffin, and it tested po- and you tested positive. Yeah, well, of course, we had all these people coming to test cannabis, and so I thought I better make sure I've got some food for them. <laughs> um, so I stopped at Tim Hortons, picked up a dozen donuts. I don't know, maybe that would have been more appropriate for the police officers if they were coming. But um, the I uh, picked up a dozen donuts, and I'm looking around, and I saw some poppy seed cake. Mm. And I remembered my Baba in Edmonton used to grow poppies in her backyard. Uh, and somebody used to come and clip the heads off them. Mm. Uh, and we used to joke about it. So I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something there. So I grabbed uh, one slice of poppy seed loaf at Tim Hortons and uh, took it back to... Uh, uh, took it back, and that was my first test, was contaminated with poppy seed loaf. I ate the poppy seed loaf. Uh, we waited 17 minutes after I ate. Um, and, uh, you know, I cleared my mouth. I, I drank some water, coffee, um, and then... Um, did the saliva test and uh after you know after 17 minutes and then put it into the machine to process it and it came up almost right away as uh, opioids so you know hands behind my back handcuffed face pushed down into the hood of the police cruiser and put it to the back you know (laughs) it's uh kind of scary that the poppy seed cake from uh, tim hortons could do that but uh i suppose you know this is something that People have talked about. Uh, we didn't know if it was an urban legend. I can tell you if it uh, was an urban legend, it's now been an urban confirmed. And you can check it out yourself if you follow or if you don't follow Paul on Twitter, you can add Paul Doroshenko. You can see it all there. That's where I was watching it on the weekend and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I got to talk to Paul. And tell us about the tea as well. There was, uh, you took, um, you drank some tea and it, it showed up positive results for cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we want to. I want to do a lot more testing for that. Um, there was two people. It was the same tea. I don't want to reveal what the tea is because I don't want to. Mm. I don't want to damage the brand of that okay. tea. Um, you know, Tim Hortons poppy seed cake is probably the same poppy seed cake everywhere else. Maybe <laughs> the same as Starbucks. I don't know. I mean, we can pretty much say that it's the poppy seed. Uh, but the tea, yeah, led to positive for cocaine, including me taking the, you know, eating the, drinking the tea rather. Um, where you'd like to do a lot more testing, um, and the issue here comes down to the price. Uh, each one of those tests is thirty dollars. Wow. Test cassettes. Uh, I'm the one who paid for it for this. I mean, I bought the machine, and and we wanted to set out to do, you know, specifically cannabis testing, and that was the purpose of it. It's just that these other things came up during the course of it um, that were uh, that were quite strange. But the, um, you know, the the issue is how many times are you going to test? Mm. Uh, you know, do you have the money to do it? We've blown fifteen hundred dollars in test cartridges this weekend. Yeah. Uh, not including the uh, few hundred dollars in cannabis and uh, all the uh, you know potato chips aren't cheap. <laughs> so we talked about the CBD oil and the tea and the, and the poppy seed and you, you mentioned of course you were testing cannabis as well. What kind of results did you get on it? What what did it lead you to believe? What did it what did what did it show you from you the know, cannabis use? I observed some of the cannabis tests but not all of okay. the cannabis tests. I took no records myself of it. It was other people doing that. We had uh, there was uh, two forensic uh, experts and a person doing their PhD in pharmacology uh, and a uh, another lawyer who's been deep in the science for decades. Hmm who conducted most of the tests together, and they had a very good procedure. I did watch people be tested, uh, and the interesting thing that I noted was the regular users of cannabis um, in the couple that I was monitoring, 
uh, failed the test, the, the drug test, the Draeger, so a prohibited level of THC, yet had no sign of impairment Really, uh, after mm. using cannabis. Now, the novice users, um, interestingly enough, uh, seem to do fairly well on the drug test, but may have been impaired um, or appeared to be more likely to have been impaired in their ability to drive. So what that would tell you is that never smoke a joint before, smoke a joint and drive, you might pass. Hmm. Um, smoke uh, uh, cannabis every day for two weeks, um, you know, smoke three hours before and not be impaired, and you might, you might fail. And that's wow. sort of the, you know, that's one of the dangers that we think, it, uh, you know, back to the Canadian legal context, you know, a search and seizure has to be a reasonable search and seizure. And it's reasonable if it's reasonably reliable, if it doesn't take too long, if it's not too intrusive, because your charter rights are, are suspended there at the roadside. You don't get to talk to a lawyer, for example. So, you know, I, again, I'm not knocking the machine in the mm-hmm. sense that, um, you know, it can be very useful in many contexts. In a scientific context, it's, you know, fabulously interesting to use and to see this technology it's brilliant technology i mean drager has been producing breathalyzers for a long time and uh, you're in the hospital if you've ever had an oxygen mask over your face chances are that regulator was manufactured by this company they've been doing it 100 years but um you know in the canadian legal context uh, i don't think it it meets the test for being a reasonable search and seizure. Yeah. And and I'm guessing if if someone says they if the police pull you over and they said that you want to they want to take do a test do this test on you and you say no you're 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 getting charged again, right? $2000 fine criminal record with yeah. driving prohibition. Mm. And you're a criminal now. Um so what's so, next? I mean, if they ask, submit to the test, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an offense to, to not, and you can be convicted of two offenses. You can be convicted of impaired driving and refusing to provide a sample. If you provide a sample, uh, it's, it turns out that you're prohibited and you're impaired. You're only going to be convicted of one thing then. Mm. It's like, you know, if you if you murder one person, you can't be convicted of first and degree murder and manslaughter. It's so all of the, so all of this stuff, you know, all of all of the testing that uh, that you've been doing and, and your team, Paul. I mean, is it to, you know? Obviously, you're calling on Ottawa someone to be doing some more testing as well. Just take a closer look at some things. Well, I, I, I the more I think about it, and as I was watching it this weekend, the more I thought that prohibiting this and making it a criminal offense. Uh, is not really going to work for them. And I'd be surprised if they get many convictions. I, I mean, I've been defending impaired driving cases for 20 years. I've never lost an impaired by drugs. Um, that may happen, but mm-hmm. it's been a criminal offense the entire time. Uh, the problem is is really that the evidence is too sketchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you can be slightly impaired as a criminal offense by alcohol or drugs, but slight evidence is usually not enough. And that's a decision from the Alberta Court of Appeal that says that. Uh, and... You know, what we have here is slight or, you know, not reliable enough evidence to be able to prove a person, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt guilty. Uh, so, you know, what other ways can they do it? They can do it administratively. Um, you know, it could be done in a context the provincial uh, government could pass legislation to enact something. The problem that they've got there is that the stigma of this, even on your driving record, yeah is significant. Yep. You know, you're applying for a job and you've uh-huh. got this notation that you got a 30-day driving prohibition because the police believe you were impaired by drugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that in itself is is very harsh. Uh, and it, so it may not even, you know, make the constitutional test uh, in those circumstances. But I think they're probably closer 
to being able to approach it if they do it as provincial legislation in an administrative context. Before I let you go, I wanted a completely different topic, but I know I saw you tweeting about it uh, over the weekend as well, and it caught my attention. Uh, the CBSA saying that it now ha- that it has the right to search electronic devices for evidence of customs-related offenses without a warrant, just like they search your luggage and involved a, 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 a guy going through uh, customs recently read the story, and I was like, oh my gosh, what do you... What's up with that, and what do you do in that situation if someone, if, if CBSA, if the border security people want to see your phone? Well, that's a, a fascinating thing, and that story is even more fascinating because it was a lawyer, uh, and that's the reason that I was tweeting about it, because that lawyer has in his phone and in his laptop the confidential information of, you know, maybe hundreds, thousands of people, uh, access to his email. Um, if they can access that, then it's a violation of solicitor-client privilege, a client's right to privacy, a client's right to uh, solicitor-client confidentiality. Um, and in order for the police to come and execute a warrant at a lawyer's office, they have to notify the Law Society of Alberta, for example. Uh, you know, there's a whole procedure they have to go through, uh, and they have to establish before a judge beforehand that it is necessary to do it. We're talking warrantless searches of devices. Can they do it? I think they can do it but not with a lawyer. Hmm. So when you show up at the border, if they demand your, you know, you, you are submitting yourself to the, uh, to the border, you are voluntarily showing up there, and border guards have uh, a lot of authority and power to be able to uh, investigate you at that location. Um, they can search through your luggage. They can search through your papers. They can search through your phone. Um, Hmm. The problem that we have with this particular case is that we're talking about a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the lawyer, you know, has access. You know, if you're logged into your to your email account or your password's in there, they can go and read every email yeah. uh, of everything that is protected by solicitor-client privilege. I mean, on the face of it right there, you've got a, a constitutional violation of all of those individuals. Hmm. Um, who have information that's held by that lawyer, which is the reason that we have these very strict provisions, because solicitor-client privilege is a is a you know one of those fundamental legal rights that Absolutely. we have in Canada. Paul, always good to talk to you. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Nice take, to speak with you. Take care.